Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and here with video on YouTube. And as you can see, this week I am joined by my beautiful wife, Melissa. Say hi. Hello. (laughs) So um, this week we're doing something a little different on my podcast. Um, Usually I'll pick some topic or I'll interview some person and if it's a topic that I'm talking about, I might go on at a mad rate for half an hour, an hour or something about it and pontificate about this or that or the other thing and give some opinions and give some ideas and, you know, just basically blather on. But this week I thought, you know, sometimes I have the most interesting conversations with the uh, person who's living with me. (laughs) Uh, We actually sit right here and on this couch and uh, and we talk about all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, sometimes we're in uh, (laughs) altered states of consciousness when we do that. (laughs) But um, but generally speaking, we have a good time. And so I thought uh, rather than bring a guest on this week. Uh, or pontificate all by myself, I would uh, try to pontificate with somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) And what we're going to be talking about this week are rights. And um, this is something that's kind of an evergreen topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think it's ever a settled topic, that's for sure. Talking about uh, human rights, civil rights, uh, civil liberties, uh, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. This is a a big topic, and it, it concerns literally all of us Mm -hmm. so uh so anyway i thought uh start off with this actually something happened that was a little alarming to me earlier this year and i kind of noted it in the the spectrum of of crazy things that are going on these days and have always gone on i mean let's be let's be honest you know there's there's never a time when there's no need for complaint Right. Or argument. Never in history has that been true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and everybody always thinks they're living in the worst of times mm-hmm. and always is hyper aware of all of the individual problems and situations and political minutiae and job and environment mm-hmm. and education and all the things that we're aware of that kind of plague us and, and our kids and our parents and our thises and our thats and our dog and our cat. (laughs) There's always something to complain about. But um, anyway, in terms of this administration, it's been a little bit of a wild ride. I think we can all agree that life in America has been a little tumultuous over the last two years. And no matter what side of the fence you're on. Um, This move at first, like I said, alarmed me. I looked into it a little bit. I'm not going to pontificate on it for a long time. But um, I thought it might be a good place to start with this conversation. And that was... On June 19th, the Trump administration withdrew from the United Nations Human Rights Council uh, in protest of what it perceives as an entrenched bias against Israel and a willingness to allow notorious human rights abusers as members. UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, who has sought major changes on the council throughout her tenure, issued a blistering critique of the panel saying it had grown more callous over the past year and become a protector, quote, a protector of human rights abusers and a cesspool of political bias, end quote. 
She cited the admission of Congo as a member, even as mass graves were being discovered there, and the failure to address human rights abuses in Venezuela and Iran. So, uh, and she's not wrong in citing those things. I imagine that, uh, you know, if life in our Congress is as contentious... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as we seem to get the idea that it is. Yeah. Uh, what must it be like for member nations, for ambassadors and representatives of countries all over yeah. the world? It's got to be you know, a fascinating thing to watch. <laughs> I, I would imagine so. And there are, you know, when, you, when you're on the world stage and you have all these different countries coming together... These are not people who come to the table with America's best interests in mind. No. You know, or anybody else's best interests yeah. in mind except Just, their own. Yeah, like everybody, me, me, me. <laughs> yeah, basically. I don't really see any reason why it would be any different. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to make wild assumptions, and I'm not actually ragging on the United Nations mm-hmm. as a body. I don't know. My, I, I mean, what were you raised thinking the UN was and how we should look at it? Yeah, I always thought it was like, you know, they're the peacekeepers, they're the ones that make sure everyone's behaving around the world and all that kind of stuff, and they're the ones that try to keep people from going to war and stuff like that, you know, and, or, you know, if there's going to be a war, you got to get it through them first, and... Uh, uh, yeah, I don't... I, yeah, I, I'm not actually sure what the full powers of that are. Like I said, I didn't do a whole lot of research before sitting down on this. I kind of mm. wanted to just sort of roll it. But, um, yeah, I, my most, the, the thing I'm most familiar with with the United Nations is L. Ron Hubbard uh, ragging on it. Oh. Um, you know, and he was very anti-one world government. Mm-hmm. And he was very much into, you know, nations and nationalism and America. Uh, and that's, you know, that was just his take on things. Uh, so that was my take on things for a long time mm-hmm. <laughs> because of that. And uh, our, our cat is walking through the <laughs> frame here. You can't see him because he's underneath the camera frame. But, uh, yeah, he just he just strolled on by. So, um, but at the same time, later in my Scientology career... Um, I think in the late 90s or 2000s, yeah, it was in the 2000s, actually, mm-hmm. um, we started becoming active in the idea of human rights mm-hmm. and youth for human rights became a sort of a thing uh, in Scientology. In fact, if anybody's watched my interview that I just posted this last week here with Jeff Levin, um, he talked about the song that he wrote or got written for that United Nations human rights campaign that Scientology sort of put forward. And uh, it was all about educating youth on human rights. And the fact of the matter is, it's probably the only front group, I'll say, for Scientology that actually is doing something truly decent uh, because they put together uh, PS public service announcements and information about each article of the United Nations uh, or the Universal Declaration, I should say, of Human Rights, mm-hmm. which Eleanor Roosevelt uh, was instrumental in putting together after World War II and kind of getting pushed through the United Nations. So they took all those points, I think there's 25 or so articles, and made a little 
30-second, one-minute public service announcements Mm -hmm. demonstrating each one. Four kids using very real-world examples. So I'll promote. I'll actually promote that because it's not. it doesn't have any Scientology content in it, really. It's just about human rights, and it does a good job of educating on that topic. The irony, of course, and the duplicity there is that it's Scientology, that is yeah. <laughs> that is putting that out. One of the biggest violators of human rights in the yeah. United States. So, you know, I won't I won't uh, endorse Scientology's end of that, but I will endorse the human rights end of it. Mm-hmm. Put it that way. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, I think I think the United Nations certainly has uh, a job to do there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't have right now a position on Israel. I don't really know. I haven't determined yet for myself what to think about that or what side to take or something like that. I know it's contentious. I know a lot of people have some very strong opinions about it. So I just wanted to put out there, I I don't know. I have a lot of Jewish friends Mm -hmm. who have been to Israel, who even come from Israel. Um, I don't have anything against any of them personally, yeah. you know, I don't know. Right. Um, well, I mean, I don't think it's, you it can be against people that are like citizens of Israel. It's the government that's doing all these things that are kind of awful, but it's awful on the other side too. So that's kind of, you know, they're both doing really awful things and no know. one is innocent, you know? So that's. That's what always bothers me is the idea that one of them is more innocent than the other. And I'm like, not really. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's a highly charged, highly contentious thing. And people obviously are killing each other over mm-hmm. it. So, you know, we're not going to solve that problem as we sit here on the couch right now. But I just wanted to make it clear that I don't have a stake in that one way or the other because right. I haven't done a, ne- a deep enough dive into that. And I'm actually in the process now of learning a lot about the Middle East and about Islam Mm -hmm. so that I can actually start talking about that and the extremism that exists there. But I don't, I'm not going to open my mouth about it until I am educated enough to feel that I'm certain about what I'm talking about. But as far as human rights goes, um, yeah, there's no question that there have been human rights violations on both ends of that. Mm Mm-hmm conflict in Israeli side and the Palestinian side, oh, yeah. you know, so, um, so I'm, you know, I, I will certainly say that while I might not choose a side, I am certainly on the side of, Hey, can't we at least stop violating each other's human right. rights in some exactly. fashion? Uh, at least the most blatant human rights violations, right. you know, like killing kids. I don't think that's, that's yeah, particularly mm-hmm. justified. Uh, I'll say that. <laughs> um, so as far as the United States position goes in withdrawing from the U.N. Council, I get the point. Uh, Nikki Haley went out of her way when making this statement to be clear about the fact that this was not a matter of the United States not endorsing or backing up human rights or wanting human rights to be a thing. Um, of course, we have our own issues with human rights violations here in the States with the, you know, sort of systemic racism that, it, mm-hmm. that uh, it, we, Without any question, it exists. How oh, much yeah. it exists, to what degree, I think, is different in different geo- ge- geographical areas. Sure. I think uh, 
uh, and different, you know, depending on which police officer you run mm-hmm. into on which particular night or what area of the country you're in, like I said, or, um, or what state you're in, you know, it, 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 it matters. Um, and of course there's the whole situation at our border, right. uh, which is clearly not a great situation. Yeah. yeah I mean, separating kids. I mean, that's not, that's not okay what they're doing down there. No, it's really not. And it's got a very long and very ugly history. I was actually going to do a whole podcast on that, but it became so long and so contentious trying to figure it all out. I just was like, oh my God. I, I realize that there's some things I, if I can't do it justice, it's probably best to just not talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I might have an opinion that I might state about things. Um, for example, I don't think separating families at the border is particularly a very productive or constructive or good mm-hmm. idea. Um, I, I don't particularly agree with the, with the Trump administration's assessment of the situation down there. But I also know from having heard from people down at the border that um, there is a lot of false framing and false mm-hmm. information also about what goes on down there. So, um, which is not to say that, the, that kids are not being separated from their families. Right, I'm right. not asserting that. That's, we know that's happening. We know that was done on purpose. We know mm-hmm. it was done on purpose in order to make illegal immigration so horrible that people wouldn't do it. That was the thinking. It's, it's, it's faulty logic because when people are running for their lives to the United States, they're going to keep running no matter what kind of barrier you right. put up there because it's certain death where they're coming right. from, or at least that's how they feel about it. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. It's ugly. It's very ugly. and it's. I think it's hard for people to really grasp how scary the situation is in, in places in Mexico and South America. I don't think they get that. I don't either. I don't either. And I don't think also they, they quite grasp the personal struggle of, a, of, a, of immigrants coming in, in desperation and mm-hmm. refugees coming in desperation into the United States. And by the way, I mentioned the thing about the Trump administration, but just to be totally candid and clear, it's not like all this started with Trump. Right. We, we go back decades to human rights abuses in Latin America, South American countries, um, border issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we're reaping what we've sown in a, in a number of ways with what's going on down there. So I'm not saying that it's just the Trump administration. What I'm basically saying when I say that is that the Trump administration hasn't done anything constructive to change the, that, the, the whirlwind mm-hmm. that we're sort of reaping, you know, uh, from our earlier administrative act. Right, you know, right. It's just, it was there, but now it's escalating. Exactly. Uh, okay, now in terms of rights, um, getting back to human rights, I didn't. I made a few notes, and um, first off, just to kind of define the term, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of interesting when you start looking into this, um, from because I've done this in the past as well as just a, a, a skim now. Um, how contentious! Just trying to define what a right is and what a human right mm-hmm. is. And amongst different cultures and, you know, countries and uh, with with vastly different backgrounds and incredibly different value systems. Right. You know, um, a right. We can't even figure it out in our own country. Well, that's. <laughs> we can't even. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is a little bit, 
you know, hypocritical for us to be pontificating about human rights or try to be <laughs> the world police when, you know, we're doing some of the stuff we're yeah. doing. Uh, we could certainly use with a little, little bit more cleaning up of our mm-hmm. house, I'll say. Um, first off, just the word right. Okay. A moral or legal entitlement to have or obtain something or act in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Moral or legal entitlement to have or obtain something or act in a, in a certain way. So immediately you can see the problems that this definition poses. Right. Because if you're talking about a moral entitlement, well, your morals are different from mine. Yep. Right? Whether it's because of your religion. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's, I mean, Islamic morals are radically different from Christian morality, from Jewish morality, from atheist morality. These are, you know, you'd think everybody thinks killing somebody, for example, is not, is a bad thing. Not really. Yeah, there's some people that are fine with it. Well, they're fine with it under different circumstances, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's the it's the difference in circumstances is 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 what causes some of the problems. I mean, yeah. some people are you know I mean in, in Islam you have uh, the idea that maybe it's just among the extremists or the radicalists. I I couldn't really say. I I, I think it's a little broader than this. The idea that if you're violating God's law in some fashion. Or, or you become an apostate, mm-hmm. that you deserve death. Yep. Period. And that's just based on changing your mind or your belief about something. Right. Or even in our own country with the death penalty, that's so contentious. You know, it's like, well, is that okay to kill someone because they killed somebody else or not? You know, and we can't seem to agree. <laughs> no, it's a lot of a lot of contention about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, personally, I don't. I'm I'm not down with it. Um, Probably, (laughs) I mean, part of the reason I'm not is because we already know, statistically speaking and study-wise, that it doesn't reduce capital crime. Nope. You know, the threat of being killed, uh, getting caught, getting sentenced to death, and then being killed, that threat doesn't stop anyone from killing somebody else or doing something that would be a right. capital offense. You know, here I've got the knife. I'm about to plunge it in you. Oh, wait, up, up, up. Yeah. Hang on. Hold on. Hold There's on. a death penalty. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to do it today. You know, Yeah. maybe I'll kill you tomorrow, but I got to think about this a little bit more. That, that doesn't happen. That nope. scenario doesn't play out. So it's ineffective as a deterrent, and it's pretty, you know, pretty barbaric. Mm-hmm. It's pretty brutal. Um, now, of course, passions run high. People have people experience a tragic loss. Uh, the families of victims um, who are you know left to suffer because some killer took out their kids or sure. their spouse or wh- whoever. I mean, I, it's not like I don't feel for those people or haven't experienced my own level of of loss. Right, right. You know, and wanted to take it out on somebody, but I. My morality just kind of stops at that point of, okay, well, let's kill them. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, if you want someone to be rehabilitated, well, that's certainly not going to happen. If you want somebody to suffer for the rest of the life for what they did, well, then have them live for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, 
Yeah, if you have, I think it'd be much worse. Personally, I think for me, it'd be much worse to live in a jail cell with no rights and everything for the rest of my life than to just, you know, be put out of my misery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of punishment, I think that's a harsher punishment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, there's always the fact that people get wrongly accused right. and wrongly right. convicted. And we see uh, that, we see instances or examples of people having uh, DNA evidence or new evidence come to light, and we find out that they were wrongly convicted and they're sitting on death row when they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, that that has happened, that, that there have been people, I believe there's been a couple cases where people have been uh, executed. Right. And then it was found out they were innocent. That, that they were innocent. And certainly even the possibility that that could happen goes against the entire concept of our justice system. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And, and forensics isn't this perfect thing that we like to think it is either because they make mistakes. Sometimes, you know, things get fudged around and it's not... It's not like it is on CSI, you know? (laughs) Oh, my God, not even close. (laughs) We actually had a pretty interesting educational experience with forensic files because we used to watch that Mm -hmm. all the time. Loved forensic files because I I was into the science of it. I thought it was fascinating. (laughs) And we found out. (laughs) Yeah, we found out it's not always as accurate as they portray it to be. (laughs) Mm -mm. Some of those uh, so-called fire pattern experts Mm -hmm. or arson experts or... Uh, some of the fingerprint analysis yeah. or the blood spatter analysis. Yep. You know, we pretend you see watch Dexter and you yeah. pretend that this blood splatter thing is this exact science. Right. Uh-uh. Not at all. You know, and you can and these guys are human mm-hmm. and they can make mistakes. And when you are relying on expert testimony only to find out that the guy is an expert in something that's actually kind of pseudoscience science and not, you know, Easily, when you when you have when you have a situation where authorities, quote unquote, mm-hmm. I'm doing air quotes now, uh, on the same topic can go into a court of law and give two completely contrary professional opinions on something. I'd say we probably have a field there that should be more rigorously. Uh, researched mm-hmm. and some more definitive answers found that cannot be um what's the word uh invalidated mm-hmm. i guess or we don't have one expert saying one thing and another expert saying the exact opposite depending on which side of the right. plaintiff or you know prosecution yeah. whichever one they're on i i you know i don't want to put somebody's life in the balance over something like that mm-hmm. so Anyway, yeah, so we kind of found out that, you know, that wasn't so great. But getting back to rights. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's just one thing, though. That's just one example mm-hmm. of a moral predicament that causes a great deal of, right. of, of argument, you know. And that's, and the right, and that's, that's right on one of the, the first universal right, uh, which is right to life. Yep. You know. So, uh, anyway, and then in the definition of rights, it says a moral or legal entitlement. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. So when you're looking at an international perspective. Right. Different laws, different countries. Ah, totally. So, you know, where we think, you know, know, the the law says that, you know, you only cross the street when the light is blue. And over in 
I don't know, Indonesia, they cross the light when the light's yellow or something. I'm just being ridiculous. But, you know, different laws and different reasons for the laws and different interpretations of the laws can make rights cloudy. Right. You know, you think it's so clear. You think you Mm -hmm. really got it all figured out. And then somebody enters some curve, you know. Ugh, drives me nuts. So those two things alone, right at the beginning of the definition of rights, uh, throw some real curves into the whole picture and make, you know, have fuel debate, argument, endless numbers of academic papers and studies Mm -hmm. done on this stuff. And so we have, you know, at the international level, we have this, the highest body is the United Nations Council on Human Rights and all these countries coming together. And what do they do? They, they mainly pick on Israel. Yep. And that's fine. They should pick on Israel, I suppose. But yeah. what about Iran? What about us? What about yeah. uh, Southeast Asia? I mean, what about the human rights violations that uh, corporations are engaging exactly. in? Exactly. You know? So there's a lot of issues to take up. And so I, so I see the point in the U.S. going, eh, we're out for a bit. But at the same time, I don't particularly, I see the point, but I don't really think that was the best strategy. Mm-hmm. Nikki Haley sounded very <laughs> frustrated uh, on that whole thing. But you kind of see when you start diving into it why these contentious issues come to, come to the fore and why trying to get agreement on these things between different countries with different value systems, much less within one country, mm-hmm. can just be uh, a, a madhouse of, of argument. Yeah. Now, human rights, just to kind of drill down a little bit here, um, you know, you'd think if there was one thing we should all agree on, <laughs> you know, uh, human rights, a right believed to belong justifiably to every person. No matter what. That's right. Inalienable, unalterable, you can't be, they cannot be taken away. Um, Now, I wrote some stuff down here from the UN website, uh, because, you know, whether the council is dysfunctional or not, the theory of human rights as laid out on their website was some of the most sensible stuff I found on the topic. So, you know, I get the, the, the problems in implementing human rights, but at least codifying and talking about it seemed like a good source. Right. And it said that uh, human rights are rights inherent to all human beings, whatever our nationality, place of residence, sex, national or ethnic origin, color, religion, language, or any other status. We are all equally entitled to our human rights without discrimination. These rights are all interrelated, interdependent, and indivisible. Universal human rights are often expressed and guaranteed by law in the forms of treaties, customary international law, general principles, and other sources of international law. International human rights law lays down obligations of governments to act in certain ways or to refrain from certain acts in order to promote and protect human rights and fundamental freedoms of individuals or groups. So it's, you know, I think the idea here is that it's incumbent upon a government to protect its citizens' human rights. And I can see right away (laughs) why 
when you come down to the local level, mm-hmm. you know, things can get really difficult to sort out. Um, you know, we're going to get into civil rights mm-hmm. and civil liberties uh, after we touch on all these human rights. But, um, and I guess I'm getting, I'm jumping the gun a little bit getting into this, but, um, you know, there's a, you have a group, for example, that is a minority group right. that is having, that is being discriminated against. And they're very aware, very cognizant of their rights. Mm-hmm. And they tend to think that or move in a push in a direction that the group that's discriminated against them doesn't have the same rights because of the discrimination. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, just to make like an obvious case would be, um, oh boy, I might get in trouble for this one, but, um, (laughs) boy, I don't even know if I want to bring this one up. (laughs) Actually, I'm just going to skip over that one. Um, okay. Different one. Uh, right to speech, you know, um, you know, you have the right to say whatever you want, but then if you say things that, you know, I disagree with. Well, I want to take away your right to say mm-hmm, things, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do that by by executing my right to say things. And we tend to, you know, want to eclipse other people's rights because they're doing something we disagree with. Right, right. You know, and then we don't realize when that happens. And this is my number one most fundamental argument on this is we don't realize that by eclipsing by me eclipsing your rights. I'm actually eclipsing my own. Yeah, you're opening the door for all kinds of stuff to happen. And it's like, you gotta, even if you disagree, they get to have their rights. Because if they don't, you're going to lose yours, too. I know. And it's rough. It gets really rough. Because um, I really don't like some of the things other people say. Right. <laughs> Me either. You know? Like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this whole Alex Jones thing. Yeah. You know, that happened with him being removed from platforms. Well, you know, nobody took away his rights. Right, right. But I'll tell you, there were people who interpreted that move Mm -hmm. as having taken away his rights. And there are other people who definitely do want to take away his rights. Right, right. You know, I don't. don't, I'm not interested in in taking away the guy's right to speech. Yeah, he do whatever he wants. He just has to face the consequences of when he does things that are outside of the the protections of free speech, like libel and slander and all that kind of stuff. That's exactly right. And that's where those rights exist. But then we find in the course of day-to-day living that we have to enact some laws and some regulations to maybe temper some of the ways that people abuse these things. But we're, it's just, it becomes a morass. It can kind of become a slippery slope a little bit because you can regulate a right out of existence. Right. And you don't want to do that. But at the same time, you don't want people standing on a stage and inciting violence Mm -hmm. or getting behind a microphone and saying, well, these guys are just a bunch of crisis actors and they are all fake and rah, rah, rah. And then you're actually bringing down on those people uh, who are now being harassed and, you know, all but assaulted by Alex Jones's followers mm-hmm. because they believe his nonsense and they go carry out real, there's real world consequences to his speech. So, you know, at that point, of course, you have to curb that kind of speech because you can't be taking away other people's rights to freedom and mobility mm-hmm. and, and to mourn the loss of their children. 
But at the same time, even the people who are harassing those Sandy Hook victims have rights too. I mean, they have a right to speak. And, you know, this is one of the things where a German friend of mine has brought up the fact that in Germany, they have a very different freedom of speech situation Hmm. because their freedom of speech laws recognize and support dignity and and a human right value, you know, to that. So you can't do the same things you can do here. Their free speech is different. I think it's, I don't really totally, I haven't totally grasped it yet or, or dived into it. I'm just told, you know, by my friend that, that it's, of course he's saying it's better than what, what goes on in the States. But when you run into this kind of issue that we're talking about with Alex Jones and the Sandy Hook thing, it highlights some weaknesses we have right. because I have a right to speech. I have a right to move, to transport, you know, to move my body around so I have a right in the U.S. to go and find a parent of a Sandy Hook child and tell them what I think. I have the right to do that. But, but should I? You know, yeah, should I exactly. have the right to harass them? Exactly. You know, that's where you kind of go, well, when does, when does my right end, you know, when I'm impinging on your rights? Yeah. And that becomes a this becomes tricky under the way our laws and are worded and the mm-hmm. our uh, our rights are laid out in the Bill of Rights, you know. So it gets a bit rough. Yep. Then you have to define what what is harassing speech, and then that's variable depending on the person. Exactly. You know what is libel? What's slander? What's a lie? What's and then because then of course you're into philosophy and what's truth. Yep. What's truth? What's a lie? You know, what's an opinion? What's a fact? I mean, this is where all this philosophy comes to the fore, because when you write a law, you have to write it in a way that it's going to be universally applicable from this point forward. Mm -hmm. And you can see how bad we are at that by how many law books we have. (laughs) There's volumes of these things. Laws clarifying other laws or revising laws or striking laws and making new ones, you know, as values change, mm-hmm. you know. So this is this. I mean, we're not really very good at all of this. No, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's uh, like I said, you can see where if you really give this a little bit of thought. And you start thinking it through a little bit. You know, it, it's it's hard sometimes when we're in the heat of the moment, very passionate about something, very riled up. It's easy to make harsh, rash calls about, you know, taking away other people's rights. Oh, sure. You know, I mean, that re- that for that reason alone, we need objective, dispassionate third party arbiters which is yeah. what judges are supposed to be. Yeah. Even the police in some fashion, yeah. although that seems questionable <laughs> yeah. more often than not. Uh, you know, when the police come along, uh, overworked, underpaid, uh, oh, you know, sure. every day of their life is a threat, is a potential threat to their life. They might not go home every single day. I mean, in many, many ways, police are heroes just for showing up to work. Right. Um, on the other hand, sometimes police are the bad guys. Because they show up to work and they do horrific things. 
So they're human beings too, unfortunately, and yeah, <laughs> you know, so. they they have buttons too. Exactly, and foibles and problems and mm-hmm. things they don't understand and issues they don't know how to deal with, mm-hmm. and uh, and a, and a, and we rely on them for all kinds of things, you know. So it's uh, it's just rough, man. It's, you know, it's, yep. it's chaos. Be kind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, The principle of universality of human rights is the cornerstone of international human rights law. This principle is first emphasized in the Universal Declaration on Human Rights in 1948, has been reiterated in numerous international human rights conventions, declarations, and resolutions. The 1993 Vienna World Conference on Human Rights, for example, noted that it is the duty of states, and by states they're talking about nations, Mm -hmm. right? Nation states, not states of the United States. It's the duty of states to promote and protect all human rights and fundamental freedoms, regardless of their political, economic, and cultural systems. And yeah, exactly. So, you know, if government did one thing and only one thing, which was that, yeah, you know, and had means and mechanisms in place to do that. That's where things get a little interesting. Um, but but just that alone, I mean, apparently, we need that. We do. Because when we don't have it, uh, well, we get barbarisms. We get cultures that don't work. Exactly. Or don't work as well as they should. We get, I don't know, towers of or pyramids of skulls. <laughs> You know, you know, Mongolians conquering, you know, half of Asia. And yeah. Or even, you know, you you're talking about the Middle East earlier. There's a lot of stuff going on over there that's just really not in the realm of human rights at all. And it's, you know, you got to, if they want to be a part of the UN, they should be doing that. They should be protecting those rights. It, I do kind of agree that letting people in that aren't doing the right things is kind of messed up. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, and even getting, again, this is where the United Nations is kind of letting us down because, um, you know, they have member states like Iran, Iraq, um, uh, Syria, and uh, you have this group ISIS running around right. in there. And like I said, I'm not going to talk about this at length. I, like I said, I still have a lot of study to do. But I can certainly talk about the fact that ISIS is an extremist group that has no concept of human rights mm-hmm. beyond their bizarre interpretation of uh, the Quran and, and uh, Muslim teachings. And they go around beheading people. Uh, I mean, they don't even follow their own rules. Right. You know, and trying to even get some agreement between the member states of the United Nations as to what to do about those guys is, seems to be impossible. You know, so there's just, there's a lot of work to do on this topic. But all states, it says, according to the United Nations, all states have ratified at least one, and 80% of states have ratified four or more of the core human rights treaties. Wow. Yeah, reflecting consent of states, which creates legal obligations for them and giving concrete expression to universality. Some fundamental human rights norms enjoy universal protection by customary international law across all boundaries and civilizations. All right. Now, we were talking about this the other day. Uh, Human rights are inalienable. 
They should not be taken away except in specific situations and according to due process. Mm -hmm. For example, the right to liberty may be restricted if a person is found guilty of a crime by a court of law. Right. So it's not like we don't have laws that, you know, restrict this stuff. You know, it, it could almost, an argument can almost be made that almost all of our laws or problems with each other in social circumstances or situations are problems of where to draw the line. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. On rights. Yeah. You know? Like who gets, you know, what right, when, how. Right. I mean, the other the thing about we were talking about the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's really an argument about where does that human right to life begin and end? Yep. You know? And uh and people have different ideas about that. Oh, yeah. You know. So I guess we kind of go with the majority, mm-hmm. sort of, in a way. I, I don't know that we've ever had a referendum or a, a vote on the death penalty. I don't know. I don't think so federally, at least, anyways. I don't, I, yeah, I don't recall ever reading or seeing anything. Yeah. You know, any of you guys uh, have any information on that? I'd yeah, be interested. Yeah, I'd be curious, too, because I'm not sure if we've ever done anything like that. Yeah, exactly. But I thought it might be interesting to go through, um, there is this thing called the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. It was um, put together, uh, or at least endorsed by, uh, and brought to the UN after World War II by Eleanor Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. She was big proponent on this. And, um, and it's got a lot of, I guess there's 27 articles. And here is another example. Well, when we're going through these, I think some of you guys are going to see pretty fast where even here in the United States, we do not have a recognition of universal human rights here in the States, right? right? There are universal human rights that are recognized in other parts of the world that we do not recognize as human rights. And I was pretty interested. I was pretty surprised and fascinated by that because we tout ourselves as not only the world police, but the leaders in the charge Mm -hmm. for human rights. Yeah. We're the freest. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and in many ways, and in many ways, we are the freest. But I think some of those freedoms have come at a cost, and mm-hmm. maybe we should reevaluate a little bit where where some of our priorities are at, maybe, or where some of our values yeah. lie. You know. Um, okay, Articles One and Two, for example, established the basic concepts of dignity, liberty, equality, and brotherhood. Now, that dignity point, for example. You yeah, know? how do you define that, you know? Right, and how do you uh, put it into law? Yeah. You know, that, that thing I mentioned with Germany and freedom mm-hmm. of speech in Germany does not allow you... I, I, from what I've gathered, I kind of get the idea that our concepts of libel and slander have been already integrated into their, their statement of what freedom of speech mm-hmm. means. Mm-hmm. So you cannot just go you know, on the street or in the media or anywhere, you can't just go start calling somebody names. Right, right. And basically uh, scratching at or trying to claw at or trying to take away their dignity. Right. Right? People have a right to that. And that's established by this Universal Declaration of Human Rights. That's not something we have established in the United States as a right. We have the right to, you know, in fact, a lot of our speech 
does tear at mm-hmm. other people's dignity, sure. you know, um, and people, you know, from international community watching this or listening to this can chime in on that from different areas of the world. I'm actually extremely curious about how this plays out in other parts of the world, because I've come to find contrary to my upbringing <laughs> that maybe the United States doesn't have it right on everything. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't like tearing down the U S or, or ragging on the U S but you know, at the same time when something's wrong, something's wrong. Exactly. And if we can improve on it, make it better, then we should take the opportunity to do so. Right. You know, we don't have to just cat call. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, it's not, perfect and that's okay we want to fix the things that aren't perfect but we don't have to throw everything out and yeah exactly <sighs> i'm kind of i'm curious i mean what do you what, what, what how how do you think we might fix some of this business in terms of dignity liberty equality and brotherhood hmm that's a hard one because i always think like how far do you go because for instance you know we right now in this country we have a big debate of how far can you go with with the dignity of like lgbtq people you know like how how far you know is it okay to say this or that or the other thing about them what's protected what's not protected and that kind of thing like you know you should have be able to walk down the street without being harassed sure but at the same time, we do have free speech, so is it really, you know, if someone screams out the window, hey, you tranny, you know, is that, is that protected speech or is that ruining someone's dignity? Exactly. That's exactly mm-hmm. the kind of thing that, you know, depending on which side of that conversation you're on, mm-hmm. it can be kind of difficult, you know, because at the same time, you don't want to create a situation where somebody says, I'm offended and then they're able to shut you down because right. you're saying something that's true and real and needs to be said, not name calling. I'm talking about r- real stuff, right? Stuff that matters. Yeah. But now you're going to get shut down because you're offending, quote unquote. There's my own with the air quotes again. <laughs> offending someone, right? So, yeah. and that's become kind of a thing here mm-hmm. in the U.S. that we deride people for offending other people. Yeah. But, you know, as far as that kind of thing goes, you kind of it's it's pretty easy for me, at least, to go to the side of, you know, fuck your feelings. I want facts, you know, to be be blunt. Or like with jokes, it's kind of hard for me because I really enjoy humor and I enjoy dark, morbid humor. And it's like, (laughs) you know, that scares me when people are like, well, that offends me. It's like, well, but it's still kind of funny. (laughs) Well, exactly. Like. Just because it offends you doesn't mean it's wrong. Exactly. Mm. You know, because the fact of the matter is that the the role of a comedian or a joker in society is actually kind of important. Mm-hmm. Very uh, important. You know, and this has actually come to come to the fore fairly recently with all this offense and this idea of going back in your 10 years in your Twitter feed and finding every single objectionable thing you ever said. I mean, our values change over time. Right. You know. And... James Gunn may have had different values back then. He may have just thought he was being funny. I mean, not saying that what he said was too great, but still, it's just like, you know, that was something he did 10 years ago, probably not thinking too much about it. 
he's not actually doing those things. So, you know. That's right. He's just, that's his. Well, this, and this is sort of a microcosm example of, of, of a macro situation that I think we, in our culture here in the United States at least, kind of go a little crazy with. And I think this is going on in the UK also. I couldn't speak to other countries, but I know that there's this trend or idea that, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, during any of those decades, you could look through the the comedy or the, the values of the society at that time and see certain values reflected. Mm-hmm. Cultures evolve. They change. Maybe they evolve for the better. Maybe they evolve for the worse. It's kind of hard to say until you have enough perspective, you know. And um, that's totally subjective, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, you get some, you know, you get a little distance from things and you can kind of look at them with some time and some distance and you can kind of evaluate whether that was the right or the wrong move, you know, against, you know, what's going on now. But my point is that these things change and evolve. Our, what we find funny changes, what we find bad changes, the how we treat each other changes, our, our, our dress, our music, mm-hmm. everything changes from one generation to the next and even within our generations. So the micro situation I was talking about here is where we take today's values and we start applying them in a punitive way to someone who's still around right now who said and did things that were at that time within the value system. Right. I mean, they were funny then. They were people then found that funny. Yeah. Now we don't because we've become more uh, hyper aware of maybe a minority group or some other thing happens. 9-11 happens and mm-hmm. suddenly, you know, I mean, there, you know, there were there were jokes that were that were OK on September 10th that were not OK on September 12th. Right. Right. Because things changed. So when those things happen, I think it's very important that we understand where we've been so we can understand why we came to where we're at and not hold people's feet to the fire for stuff they did 10, 20 years ago if they've actually changed too. Right. Exactly. Like, um, I don't want to say who exactly, but I have older relatives that used to be I wouldn't say like fully anti-gay, but not understanding it and having really bad kind of negative connotations towards them and everything like that. And just negative feelings about them and not understanding it and, you know, some prejudice. And then, you know, it's 20 years later and they're fine. They have friends that are gay. They get it, you know. Exactly. So it's just like people change and that's okay. You can't hold something that they did 30 years ago against them if they've evolved. If they haven't evolved, that's a whole other story. <laughs> well, then we have a whole other matter, right? Because, okay, and I'll just, I mean, I'll give myself, I'll throw myself out on the, on the sacrificial altar here. <laughs> I was, as a Scientologist and as a Sea Org member, when I, for those of you who know my, about my past, my oh-so-checkered past, <laughs> um, I was incredibly homophobic. Mm-hmm. There is no other word for what I was. Absolutely. I was, I was absolutely in fear of homosexuality, of, of gays, lesbians, the whole spectrum. 
I felt that way because I was indoctrinated to feel that way by the words and writings and, and lectures of L. Ron Hubbard and, and the culture of Scientology. If I'd been on Twitter, if Twitter had been around, if I'd been on Facebook when it first came around, I would have been posting anti-LGBT mm-hmm. messaging. I, without question, I would have been doing that. And I would have done so proudly, knowing full well that I was absolutely right in what I was saying. However, the, the, within months of coming out of Scientology and realizing what a pile of horseshit it was, I tackled that subject straight on. And George Takai was actually a, a thought leader for me because uh, I'm a geek and I love Star Trek. And I, and I was listening to what George Takai had to say. And he had to say some very intelligent things about uh, intolerance towards the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community. And when I saw what he had to say, I changed my mind and I changed it drastically. I mean, I went all the way around 180 degrees. And not 360 degrees, 180 degrees. (laughs) And I now do not harbor ill will, bad feelings, hatred, or fear towards anybody in the LGBTQ community. So if I don't have those, I don't have tweets or Facebook Mm -hmm. posts from those days to to pull back and, and throw against me. But if I did, I would think it would be kind of disingenuous to, mm-hmm. to try to, you know, take me down or invalidate what I'm saying now or some position that I have because of how I used to be. Right. You know, I, I actually thought it was so twisted that I actually thought that I was supporting human rights hmm. by being that way, by being uh, homophobic. So, I mean, that's how twisted it was. So now I've come to change my mind, and I agree with the way society has evolved, and I have evolved too. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I kind of go, well, if a person's changed and, and they're no longer, you know, full of bile and hatred and, and, you know, misogyny or transphobia or homophobia or whatever, why would we feel the need to drag that up from 10, 20 years ago right. and do that? Yeah. You know? So my point with all of that was that on a microcosm level, we see people, people's feet being held to the fire for things that happened in the past. When they've changed, society has changed. And that's why, you know, we need to be so clever and smart about how we apply our laws and our uh, agreements and our guidelines about rights, you know, and about dignity and about, you know, uh, equality. Just going to go through the rest of these here because um, uh, I want to cover the rest of these human rights points. Articles 3 through 11 of, again, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights established other individual rights, such as the right to life and the prohibition of slavery. Mm. Now, that's a, that's a, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I don't think we do so well with that here uh, in the United States in terms of how we, one, how we have human trafficking issues, right. we have uh, the, the sex trade, um, we have uh, child labor, right? you know, uh, child marriage. Ugh, yeah. I mean, ugh. You know, I just saw some article about some guy marrying a 12-year-old or something this morning. I was like, what? Like, literally, this kind of crap still goes on. Yeah. You know? Um, <laughs> but also, of course, this you know, we need this to extend internationally because when you have... 
you know, the, the kind of uh, labor practices that go on mm-hmm. in, in uh, Southeast Asian countries, yeah. you know, or China, kind of go, oof. Oh, totally. You know. Um, Article 6 through 11 refer to the fundamental legality of human rights with specific remedies cited for the defense when violated. Articles 12 through 17 establish the rights of the individual towards the community, including such things as freedom of movement. Hmm. That's an important one. I mean, literally being able to travel. Yeah. You know, Uh, some of these things you wouldn't think about. We really don't think about them very much, you know. Right to talk, we, you know, or right to speech, we talk about all the time, but Mm -hmm. right to movement, you know, that's not in our Bill of Rights. Well, and that raises a lot of questions. Like, what do they mean by movement? Just travel, or do they mean being able to take up citizenship in a country other than the one you were born in? You know, like, what is it? Well, that's the thing. I mean, the right to travel, the right to movement is unrestricted movement. Yeah. You know, being able to go where you want to go. Now, obviously, that's not going to apply to, uh, like all of these rights, there are regulations. Mm Mm-hmm. You might have freedom of movement to go to Washington, D.C., but that doesn't mean they're going to let you into the Pentagon. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> but, the, you know, but, but free travel in and out of your own country should mm-hmm. certainly be a right. Oh, yeah. You know, and again, these rights get restricted or prohibited when you are, say, a criminal, right. convicted criminal, or there's a charge against you and it's being sorted out in a court of law. So then you are restricted to, you know, you don't leave the city, don't leave the state, that sort of thing. Um, But generally speaking, uh, it should be everyone's right to go where they want to go. Uh, And it's kind of one of those things where if you don't say it out loud and you just sort of imply it or assume it, then you get, you know, some states and bad actors that take those rights away, Mm -hmm. and then suddenly, you know, it's not so great. Articles 18 through 21 sanction the so-called, quote-unquote, constitutional liberties and with spiritual, public, and political freedoms such as freedom of thought, opinion, Mm -hmm. religion, and conscience, word, and peaceful association of the individual. So I think those articles really hone in on Mm -hmm. a lot of the things we tend to talk about or focus on. Um, You know, freedom of thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an important one. And we're going to, we actually have a couple more proposed ones later on because of the way technology has been moving forward. Yeah. Um, you know, freedom of thought is, is absolutely vital. Freedom of opinion, of course. Mm-hmm. And those are expressed through speech. Those are expressed through religion. Those are expressed through the way we, uh, associate with one another. Right. So stating those clearly as necessary. Uh, Articles 22 through 27 sanctioned an individual's economic, social, and cultural rights, Hmm. including health care. Oh, my God, I just said it out loud. (laughs) You know, this was actually pretty interesting because when this was, um, when when the the PSAs were being put together for Scientology's uh, educated things on these articles, um, Social Security was one of the points, hmm. uh, I, I believe, right? The idea that that you would, um, you know, have a right to be, uh, I don't want to say taken care of, but that's kind of the idea. Right. But it's, it's really, you know, with Social Security, you're investing in your own future mm-hmm. and then the government assists you. And that's, that's, a, that's a great thing, I think. Oh, yeah. You know, but healthcare. Now, I actually pulled this one out because, okay, first off, there is a thing called Article 25. That is one of these articles, and it's specifically on this business of health. This is a right the United States does not recognize. And it nope. says, 
Everyone has the right to a standard of living adequate for the health and well-being of himself and of his family, including food, clothing, housing, and medical care, and necessary social services, end quote. Hmm. It says here, it also makes additional accommodations for security in case of physical debilitation or disability, and makes special mention of care given to those in motherhood or childhood, hmm. right? Um, and this really, this is where we really lose the plot in the United States. Yes. And, I mean, we've been feeling that. Oh, Yeah. You know, we're not going to get into all of our personal details here, but we've definitely been experiencing some issues. And when you start looking at life from uh, the halfway point, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you start reevaluating a lot of things. Age does matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, experience, life experience matters to, you know, one's view of things. Sure. You know, and uh, the need for social security for medical care. I mean, these things start becoming more important. When I was 28 years old, I didn't give a shit about my health. You know, I would pound down the burgers and the Cokes and the chips all night long. And I literally had a pile of stuff I would eat. I mean, it, just, <laughs> it, was, it was amazing that I'm still alive in some cases. Um, but I didn't really think about my health care. I was young. I was vital. I, mm-hmm. I, I could, you know, stay up all night for five nights in a row and I, you know, didn't feel so great, but I, I was capable of doing it. I know at this point I'd yeah. die if I tried to do that. I'd just die. I'd just fall over and be dead. That'd be it. I'd be game over for Chris Shelton. But healthcare is, um, you know, this is something that is not just recognized as a social necessity in other countries. It's a right. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, it would change the entire st- structure of the United States if we recognize that as a human right. Oh, yeah. And there's only a few people right now on the left who are proposing that that should be the way it is. Yeah. You know, there are, there are some new politicians coming up the line. Um, not just that one woman, but others yeah, you know, yeah. who are coming up and saying, no, this should be a right. Right. Health care. Right. And I, I actually agree with that. I do too. I mean, obviously, I, I uh, have not since I was very young had the luxury of not caring about healthcare. So it's it's always been a big issue for me ever since I was eighteen. And you know, I'm old enough to where they didn't have the stay on your parents' insurance stuff. So you know, I I've struggled in and out of health insurance, in and out of coverage, and having to ration medicine I've had to you know my dad's also diabetic we've had to share strips you know and things like that when times were tough so it's just like yeah it's it's ridiculous no one should have to do that no one should have to ration their medicine no one should have to share you know we should all be able to take care of ourselves and and be healthy Uh, yeah I agree I mean just from a point of view of humanity Mm -hmm. and I know it's hard You know, it's not like there's just easy, simple solutions to all of this by any stretch. I mean, especially in the United States, we have this sort of weird morphing of of capitalism and socialism and social security and corporations and the VA. And hence, there's some health insurance, but it's, you know, it's crazy and tricky Mm -hmm. and weird. And our health system is, uh, uh, man, you know, it's it's like Trump said, and who knew it was so complicated? Well... 
kind of all of us. Everybody. Yeah, <laughs> we all kind of knew, but it's but it's probably one of the single greatest challenges that this country faces is, and I and I think one of the 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 fundamental reasons why it's so challenging is because we do not have a broad agreement uh, amongst Americans that health care is even a right. Right, right. And I really think we need to strip it down to those kind of essential conversations before we're going to talk about the specifics of how to implement the ACA or whether it should even exist. Mm-hmm. That, you know, do we even agree that health care is important? Do we even agree that it's a human right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do we even agree that, that people should uh, get some assistance uh, in this regard? You know, yeah. I mean, what what are the things that we agree on here? I mean, we're we're a big population, yeah. a huge melting pot. One of the consequences of being a melting pot is tons of different values thrown yeah. into this thing, which other countries don't necessarily have to deal with or haven't until fairly mm-hmm. recently with all the immigration and refugees and and asylum statuses and everything. Right, now right. other countries are starting to get a little bit of an idea of what. Uh, what's the word? Homogeneity, <laughs> you know, with all this mixing of of cultures and races and mm-hmm. people. Uh, you know, it's it's rough. It makes it very very challenging. And um, and we, but it's I I think that this is uh, I think these are questions that are uh, going to have to be dealt with because things are going. You know, they're. I don't think we're on the brink of any kind of revolution. I don't think we're, we're in that kind of a situation right now. I think there's always troublesome times and there's always things to be upset about. But this issue of health care is pretty front and center for the United States right yeah. now. And, and we really do need to deal with this. And I really hope that we deal with it in a, in a sane and rational way by recognizing that, you know, I think that it's a human right. And, uh, and I think if we could come to that agreement... I think we could build on that and revise or or morph our systems into something a little bit more sensible and a little bit less greedy, a little bit less profit driven right. and a little bit more, huma- you know, humane. Um, I think that's very, very, very necessary. And I think if we don't have that, those conversations in a rational way and if we don't stop screaming about it and start figuring it out, um, well, I think things are only going to get worse, mm-hmm. and uh, and I don't want to see that for certainly not for us. Yeah, you know. Um, all right. Now I mentioned also in the in the light of emerging neurotechnologies, four new rights were identified. Now I don't I don't know that these have been ratified or made official in some fashion. This is just actually um, from various articles and uh, papers on the subject. But these rights were the right to cognitive liberty, the right to mental privacy, the right to mental integrity, and the right to psychological continuity. Now, these are all speaking to me as a former cult member very strongly. Um, And I, you know, if I was going to rally on any other human rights more so than, um, you know, after healthcare, because healthcare is actually to me more, even more fundamental. But I would rally around these four rights. These mm-hmm. are really important. Um, people, you know, we, we talk about brainwashing or we talk about undue influence. We talk about uh, un, uh, um, high control groups, authoritarianism. Like these, these things all are words to describe 
somebody basically deceiving you or lying to you or abusing you in some fashion to alter your thinking or your consciousness in order to get you in a position where you're pliable and controllable and you will do what they tell you to do and therefore you will serve them. Uh, And in in high control groups like destructive cults, you're actually becoming the leader. You are altering your personality to be this person that you are following. And that's, of course, pretty abusive behavior. We should be allowed to be ourselves and have the right to our own thoughts and our own opinions and our own ideas. So um, cognitive liberty, mental privacy, mental integrity. I mean, these are, you know, when we when we're talking about having technology that can literally get in your head yeah you know not just the not just the persuasive control techniques uh or coercive persuasion i should say not just those techniques which are basically words and deception and lies but i'm talking about actual technology Mm -hmm. you know neuroscience is going in the direction of trying to read people's minds right right you know or predict behavior um Whatever use you're going to put that kind of technology to, if we don't first ensure that people have rights to not have that technology applied to them, if they don't choose to, then we're kind of moving again into authoritarianism, you know. <laughs> and here's Seven now coming into frame. <laughs> yeah, little, little guy. Aww. Our little cat. What's your opinion on psychological yeah, well, what do you continuity, think? buddy? What do you think about cat rights? Do you have an opinion on the matter? He says, I have all the rights. I am the Lord. Uh, we pretty much we pretty much figure that, that, that we're here in servitude to seven, our cat. Uh, I, we, we, we're, pretty, we're pretty convinced that's the case. At least we're pretty convinced he thinks that's the case. <laughs> now, we only really barely uh, have time to get into this, but um, we spent so long talking about Universal Declaration of Human Rights and that subject... I thought we would have more time to get into civil rights and civil liberties. I did find it interesting that these are differentiated one from another. Civil rights concern the basic right to be free from unequal treatment based on certain protected characteristics. Mm -hmm. Race, gender, disability, etc. In settings such as employment, education, housing, and access to public facilities. So that's civil rights. Um, A civil rights violation occurs in designated situations where an individual is discriminated against on the basis of a protected characteristic. And I don't think right now, uh, legally, across the boards, and I think certainly at a federal level, I don't think we've recognized uh, sexual orientation as a protected class. Yeah, I think they're just, they're still sort of fighting that out. Yeah, I think there's local laws and statutes Mm -hmm. on the books about that. Um, South Carolina's infamous bathroom laws and that sort of thing. But I don't think we've quite gotten there yet. And that's a civil rights um, battle that's still being fought. But certainly um, race, uh, mm-hmm. you know, gender, uh, these have been established by law. Mm-hmm. Disability, you know, this is why we have handicapped parking places because mm-hmm. you literally have a right to be able to access, you know, goods and services that you need as a handicapped individual or a disabled individual or whatever term you want to use. So we have these protected classes Mm -hmm. uh, of groups of people, and we have rights established specifically to ensure that those protected classes of people are able to not be 
discriminated against mm-hmm. because they fall into one of these classes. I can't just I can't just slap you because you're a woman. You know, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't doesn't work that way. You know, <laughs> it kind of used to work that way. It did it did? You know, it doesn't work that way now. You used to be able to, you know, do certain things to women at jobs because they were women. That's right. That's exactly right. Now, civil civil liberties are differentiated from that because civil liberties concern basic rights and freedoms that are guaranteed, either explicitly identified in the Bill of Rights and the Constitution or interpreted or inferred through the years of legislatures or the courts. For example, civil liberties... Right to free speech, right to privacy, right to remain silent in a police interrogation, right to be free from unreasonable searches of your home, the right to a fair court trial, the right to marry, the right to vote. So clearly there's a Venn diagram mm-hmm, that exists where mm-hmm. human rights and civil liberties and civil rights all kind of meet. meet or cross in some ways. Because um, I know a lot of these rights under the, the, under the civil liberties here uh, are also defined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Mm-hmm. Um, the law differentiates between civil rights, which means the basic right of freedom from discrimination based on certain personal characteristics, um, and civil liberties, which are basic freedoms. Civil liberties concern the actual basic freedoms. Civil rights concern the treatment of an individual regarding certain rights. So that's kind of the differentiation in terminology there. Um, One way to consider the difference between civil rights and civil liberties is to look at, one, what right is affected, and two, whose right is affected. Mm, So that's how you kind of differentiate those things. Um, So as as an employee, you do not have the legal right to a promotion, because a promotion is not a guaranteed civil liberty. Right. Right? But you do have the right to be free from discrimination mm-hmm. in getting a promotion. Right. They can't be like, you're in a wheelchair, no promotion for you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's where there, we where these two things sort of the rubber meets the road on civil liberties and mm-hmm. civil rights. So anyway, I just wanted to cover that a little bit because I thought that that was uh, an important part of the conversation. We could have an entire another podcast oh about civil liberties here in the United States. But that's pretty well covered territory as well. I just wanted to kind of go over some of this stuff because I thought this is uh, stuff that really is pretty near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, needs a lot more attention. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it, this wasn't all about just healthcare, but we definitely highlighted that because mm-hmm. I wanted to show that the United States is not necessarily the, the, the front runner in all human rights endeavors. But I also know, again, that this is a very contentious issue mm-hmm. and I don't pretend that it's not. I'm sure there's plenty of people watching or listening right now who are thinking, you know, screw you, Chris Shelton. Health care is not a right. Uh, it's a privilege and you have to pay for it. And how dare you even think otherwise? But I'm just going to tell you the rest of the world doesn't necessarily agree with you on that. And, you know, you can say, well, fuck the rest of the world. But actually, no, let's not do that. Let's actually figure out something that actually benefits everybody. Yeah. And it's actually really hard to work for uh, your health care when you, you know, to earn money to get your health care when you don't have your medicine. So <laughs> it's, it's more than a little difficult. You know, some of these things are very catch 22s, mm-hmm. you know, on on this. And uh, and the longer we kind of put this off, the worse off it's going to get. So. All right. Well, anyway, this is kind of fun. Yeah. So thanks for uh, helping me out with this. You're welcome. 
Okay, guys, <laughs> thanks for coming around and watching. I hope uh, I hope that you know some of this was interesting and educational and entertaining for you. Uh, certainly, seven was pretty entertaining, <laughs> if nothing else. Um, leave any questions, comments, or feedback in the uh, comments section here on YouTube below or at sensiblyspeaking.com. And if you like my channel and like the work that we are doing here, please consider supporting through Patreon. Uh, that would be awesome and wonderful because uh, that's what keeps this channel going. All right, guys, talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.